welcome specialists, coaches, dads, you know, and kickers. If we were moms, last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, the Kicking Bible. Order the thing, support this young man. And I am your host, Brett Arkellian. Before we get into the episode, a few reminders. We encourage you to tweet about today's episode. Tag us at Iceman underscore kicking and use the hashtag Iceman kicking podcast or cool under pressure or big kick energy to let us know what you enjoyed about the episode or any recommendations for who you'd like to see on the podcast next. Also, if you are interested in any of the fantastic information discussed here today, you can find all of this and more in the Kicker's Bible. Proven training methods and secrets used by professional specialists by yours truly, Brett Kellyan. It includes tips from over 20 NFL specialists, along with numerous personal accounts from Eagles Hall of Fame kicker David Akers and current University of Florida analyst and ex-NFL kicker Shane Graham. Visit IcemanKicking.com or go to our Twitter bio to purchase your copy today. Now sit back and get ready for one cold episode. You know, if we were last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, The Kicker's Bible. Order the thing. Support this young man. Like To the Iceman Kicking podcast, it's the show with cool questions, even cooler guests. And I'm here today with a very esteemed colleague of mine, Coach Rock Bellantani. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing good, Brett. Thanks for having me on. I don't know if I'm an esteemed guest or a cool guest, but I'll do, I'll do my best for you, man. You know, I think you're both of those. <laughs> and, and just to uh, reinforce that fact a little bit about Coach here, over his 27-year coaching career, Coach has coached defense line and linebackers and served as a not only just a defensive coordinator, but also a special teams coordinator at three different stops. He's reached the FCS play seven different times and also has been to multiple bowl appearances with Buffalo and Washington State. He has mentored over 16 players who played professionally, including three NFL draft picks uh, for a time there. And this is what's very close to me. He coached in the OVC with EIU, Eastern Illinois, was associate head coach there from 2007 to 2011, and he helped EIU win five Ohio Valley Conference championships and make six NCAA playoff appearances. Coach, welcome to the cold seat. All right. Yeah, how- thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course, man. I, I'm super excited to get into this. How's, how's Ogden this time of year? Yeah, it's uh, actually, it's it's like Florida in, in winter. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's like upper 70s low 80s now I know that probably won't last for much longer but it's been it's been beautiful man with no humidity and uh it's a really really cool area you know mountain there's a mountain right outside my window uh, something you probably I know in West Virginia there's mountains and maybe not quite as high as that one I'm looking at so it's a pretty neat area man well yeah I'm, I'm definitely partial to the west coast and the west side of the United States being from California and there's yeah absolutely there's some beautiful mountain ranges and especially Utah just a lot of natural beauty now I want to talk about 
you know, your upbringing and where you come from. This is, Utah is a little bit different of a setting for you. You grew up in New York. Talk to us about how you got into this crazy coaching profession uh, and your, your college and, and coaching career. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, let's see if I can remember back that far. You know, you said 27 years of coaching, you about broke my heart. Um, I grew up outside New York City, a uh, great place to live, Port Chester, New York, God's country. Um, ended up going to UMass. I was there for two years and transferred to Iona College, played football there. One of my college teammates was actually Kyle Flood, who's the old line coach at Alabama right now and was the head coach at Rutgers. Uh, had a great experience at both places playing football. I wanted to coach football. Probably got in it for the wrong reasons. You know, I, I, I wanted to keep in the game. I wanted to continue to compete. And, uh, and the money wasn't that big at that time, but I thought it would be a nice way to make a living, you know. And over the years, that why I stayed in it has changed. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance coming out and uh, turned down a couple of volunteer opportunities that I probably, if I could go back, I would have took them at either Fordham or uh, Columbia or one of those around the city. You know, I thought like I had to make money and, you know, and I took a job at a high school for two years in school suspension coordinator in the suburbs of New York City. So uh, that drove me out of high school football pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, this was back before the Internet. So you guys would be shocked to hear that. I had a subscription to the NCAA News and that's how you found out about jobs. And I sent out hundreds of applications and got uh, millions of rejection letters that I kept for a long time. And uh, the first job offer I got was at uh, Buena Vista Division Three school in Iowa. Flew into Omaha, Nebraska. Never been so scared in my life. You know, it's pretty bright on the East Coast. And you go to the, the middle of the country and there's no street lights and it's so dark. And um, I, But I went to the College World Series. I got the job. Uh, was at BV for three years as a graduate assistant. And when you're a GA at a D3 school, you know, you, you drive the van to the game. You, you water the grass, you line the grass, you do the laundry, you pick up the food, you, you, have, you wear so many hats, and then you're a position coach. You're not just a GA. You, I coached the D-line, uh, ran the punt return team and the field goal block team, and learned so much in, the, in the, those three years. And then I went to Drake University. For, actually, I've got to say this for my wife. If she listens, she'll just kill me. I met my wife there, and we, had, we got our two dogs there. Uh, but um, – it was good. It was a good experience. I was young. I was stupid. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot, um, grew up a lot, and then went to Drake University because our head coach had come from Drake. And that's where I really, really cut my teeth as a coach. Um, at Drake at the time, Rob Ash was the head coach, a legend in the, in the Pioneer League. I think he's the all-time winningest coach. And our staff, Brendan Daly, was a tight ends coach. He's now D-line coach of the Chiefs. He won a bunch of Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. Chris Ash. Dave Dorn, Charlie Partridge, Noah Joseph, Jamie Marshall. Um, Billy Cundiff was our kicker who kicked in the NFL for 15 years. But those guys that I mentioned as, as far as coaching, especially Dave, Charlie, and Chris, uh, we were young, we were hungry, we learned a lot of football, we had a lot of fun. And uh, that's where I really made most of my contacts and learned probably the most about defensive football was at Drake in my, in my three years there. The first two years I was a D-line coach in the GA and we only had one full-time position on defense. Well, Chris left to go to Iowa State, who replaced Dave Dorn, who replaced Jay Neiman. I mean, a nice little run of defensive coordinators, and I got that job. I was making $27,000, and I thought I was rich. It was awesome, and uh, did that for a year. We won the Pioneer League two of my three years there. 
got a chance to go to Eastern Illinois uh, from being on the assistant coaches committee uh, with Roy, Roy Wicke, who was the offensive coordinator. And he got me a foot in the door. I was there for 11 years. The last 10, I was a defense coordinator there. I was, like you said, associate head coach and all that stuff. Got to be the head coach for two games when Coach Spoo was sick. It was the best two weeks of my life, other than him not being there, because I, I did love him like a father. Uh, but uh, that was great. And I, you know, I'd like to be a head coach again someday, because that was awesome. Stayed, you know, for 11 years at Eastern. And, you know, my family and I, we thought we'd be there for a long, long time. You know, the talk was that I'd be the head coach when Coach retired. And the last couple of years, you know, the first couple of years, Tony Romo was our quarterback. The last two years, Jimmy Garoppolo was our quarterback. And uh, Jimmy was young. And, um, you know, we, we had a really young team at the time. And so they didn't go through with the plan. And they gave the job to Dino Babers, who went in and did a great job there, won two conference championships. And, and uh, so I moved on to Villanova, who at the time was talking about uh, transitioning to the Big East. And, and that fell through. Uh, but it still was – I was there two years. And, you know, at the time I was kind of bummed that I wasn't staying at Eastern. And that two years in Philly was incredible for me. Uh, Andy Talley, you know, Coach Spoo for 11 years, I learned so much from him. But Coach Talley at Villanova, I was only there two years. But you'd think I worked with him for 15 years. A lot of my beliefs and passions come from him. Uh, and that was my first time as a special teams coordinator. So we won the uh, – the, the, what was it at the time? The CAA, I guess, not the Yankee Conference. But we won it the first year. The second year we had a better team, but we slipped up in a couple of games. Um, and then that's when Charlie Partridge got the FAU job and our tie going back to our time at Drake uh, is how I got in with him. And, you know, I'd actually stay at, you know, I did, you know, I was in the OBC. We didn't have a lot of money. So when I'd go down and recruit Florida, I've been doing that for 20 years. But, um, you know, I'd stay at Charlie's dad's house sometimes to save money for the program. And because we worked together, he was at Iowa State as a director of football operations. He came to be the D-line coach uh, my first year as a coordinator at Eastern. And then he went to Pittsburgh, and then we got to back together at FAU. Uh, but we, we'd hook up and recruiting all the time and, you know, good friends and all that stuff. And that was that was probably my favorite three years in coaching at FAU and in, in the uh, Conference USA. That was awesome. It was a great place. And, you know, I thought we really had it going. And then uh, our third year there, we thought we were turning the corner. I turned down a job of the Big Ten to stay there. Um, and then we had a rash of injuries. I mean, nine old linemen we lost that year to injury. I played the last game of the year with my seventh, seventh line, Mike linebacker. Um, we only traveled three linebackers to the game. One of them got hurt on the first series. We ended up playing with a, a nickel and a dime, a true freshman 170-pound dime. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but that was our last game there, and Charlie got let go. And um, yeah, I, I'm rambling here, man, so I'm sorry, Brett, but – you know, it's, I got to give you my history. Um, so, Charlie, yeah, I appreciate it. Charlie got let go. And uh, and then, you know, so you go through the process of trying to find a job and all that. And I had a couple opportunities. But uh, right before I was to take one, the day before, my wife uh, went to the doctor and, and found out she had breast cancer. So, I had to take the spring of 2017 off. I mean, I didn't have a choice. Uh, you know, you got to be a man. You got to take care of your family. And Thankfully, I was still under insurance because we, we had a good year on defense the year before at FAU, and they gave me a multi-year contract. And uh, thankfully, they took care of me and kept me on the insurance. And we got her healthy over the summer. Uh, that was when they created the 10th assistant position. And thankfully, Lance Leipold, who um, I had some relationships with him and a couple other guys on staff, had, had held that job for me, really. And, um, you know, I went up there for two years at Buffalo. I didn't want to move my family so that my wife could keep going to her doctors. 
and also because my boys are they're big time baseball players and that was like baseball playing heaven and I didn't want to be moving them around especially with my uh, my oldest being a sophomore in high school it was a big year for him so I, li- I lived in uh, Tonawanda, New York and worked at the University of Buffalo and lived in a, an apartment with two other coaches who left their family somewhere else. And that was, uh, that was tough. That was a rough two years. Um, I mean, we had a good program and a good team, and I loved it. But, you know, being away from your family, that was not a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, out of the blue one day, I was in re- recruiting in Florida in my house in the morning, getting ready to go out and recruit. And I got an email from Tracy Clays um, seeing if I was interested in going to Washington State. And so obviously, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, went out there and, and took the linebacker job there. Uh, we thought we'd be there for a long time. So we moved my family to Pullman, Washington, complete opposite end of the country. And, uh, you know, ended up Tracy ends up quitting five games into the season. He quit. And, uh, and, you know, thankfully I got promoted to coordinator, which was nice. You get hired by Mike Leach and then promoted a few months later. That was told me I was doing something right. And, uh, you know, we salvaged, it was, it was, it was a a rough year and a tough situation. And, uh, somehow we salvaged enough wins, uh, to get to a bowl game, which was cool. We lost the bowl game, which wasn't great. And then coach went to Mississippi state, obviously. And, uh, totally, you know, I've been in the business a long time, man. I get it. He couldn't take me as a D coordinator there. I get that. And, uh, you know, the way he does it is the D coordinator hires his own staff and he had his own guys that he wanted. And so there was no room for me there. So you're, you know, and this is after the convention, it's after a lot of the jobs have, but thankfully, uh, Utah state had a position for me. Um, and I I couldn't be happier to be here. It's worked out really well. Um, the special teams coordinator here and also working with the defense now, uh, trying to help them with some things. It's been, been pretty cool. So. We'll see how this season goes and what the future holds, man. It's been a nice run. <laughs> man, you've definitely had a illustrious uh, career there. And there's a lot to unpack there. So let me start from the start. Let me take you back real quick, all right? I'd be, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, Drake. Uh, that's where actually my late grandfather, who was, you know, always my role model, attended. So shout out to Drake. I had no idea. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he talks about he had fantastic times there. He's from Iowa originally. You talked about how tough that move was coming from New York to Iowa. You know, what was one thing that was totally different when you got into coaching there at Drake or at the Division Three school, Buena Vista, that you were at that was totally different from what you were used to? So it, it would let, let me ask you if, if this would count as being different, the smell of a beef packing plant right down the street from your apartment, would that be something that would be different? That would be pretty big, I'd say. Um, it was, and then, you know, the one day that it got to set negative 69 degree wind chill factor, uh, it, it was such a culture shock, man. It really was. And, you know, the people in Iowa were over the top nice. And I was a New Yorker with a chip on my shoulder. I was an asshole. I'm just going to be honest with you uh, at that time in my life. And, um, uh, Maybe I still am, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you walk down the street and people are saying hi to you or they're waving at you in the car and you're just, oh, what is wrong with this? What, what are they trying? What's their angle? You know? And, um, it was just, it would, everything was different. It was just a different world for a kid that would grew up outside New York city. And then the only time he left home was to go to college in Massachusetts, which isn't much different. So I learned a lot about myself and about life and about people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool experience. Drake Bulldogs, man. I always got to pull for the Drake Bulldogs. Um, yeah. What about uh, you, you talked about Villanova and the cool experiences you had there and you really enjoyed Philadelphia. And that's not far away from New York City. Uh, you know, what did you like about that opportunity you had there at Villanova? Wow. You know, just at that time, um, 
you know, the last four or five years of my time at Eastern Illinois, you know, uh, I was doing most of the day-to-day running of the program and, uh, and then trying to run the defense and go down to Florida to recruit. And, and you know, I, I didn't realize how burned out I was. Uh, and then I went to Villanova and Coach Talley was just so awesome to be around and, you know, just relax, you know, relax. You know, you got the special teams, you got the D-line, you go recruit your kids in Florida, but relax, get to be around your family more. You know, it, I mean, he was just, just an awesome guy at a time in my life where I really needed a mentor to uh, teach me what really mattered and, um, you know, the quality time that we got to get spent as a family because, you know, he, he wasn't a grinder. We weren't in the office 14 hours a day. And you know what? He won a lot of games doing it that way and won a national championship doing it that way. And um, it was just – it was what we and, – and he told me this when he hired me. And he, he told me it would be exactly what we needed. And he was right. It was exactly what we needed as a family and what, what I needed as a coach to really try to figure out what I believed in and what I wanted to stand for as a coach. Wow. And Philly was awesome. Yeah. It was, and not just the cheesesteaks, but I – freaking loved Philadelphia it was great being there man the, the people are passionate about football and sports and it was close to my family and it, it was a great time in our lives I love Philadelphia too I, like I told you I lived in Amish country about yeah. five minutes south there in Philly but man it was it, to me is one of my favorite things to do is go and go into Philly there's so much different stuff to see there you know and yep. I, I'm a history guy too so so much history obviously in Philadelphia yeah you know I I'm very curious about that too because you know especially uh in this day and age you know it's you know do anything you can to help your program win and I'm very you know I'm I'm all about that um but you know I'm interested in hearing about the programs that you know maybe they're not in the office so much or maybe you know they know how to spend their time focused to help themselves win you know what what did you learn at Villanova that you know you saw help them win without spending 16-hour days in the office? Well, uh, you know, I think, uh, well, not only Villanova, but Washington State is set up the exact same way. And, you know, come in, get your work done, be organized, don't waste any time. Um, The more you stare at that film isn't going to make your players know it anymore. You know, so after you've watched the same play three times, you probably don't need to watch it 33 times. Um, It's about what they know, not about what you know and you need to get them ready to play on game day. And we practiced in the mornings there. So our meetings in the morning were short. So you had to be, you had to be organized with your stuff the day before to be ready for your meetings. So when you got there in the morning, you could run your meeting. You had no time to waste in your meeting. You had to get through the plays and the install. And I think I just learned how to be really organized with my time. And, and uh, like I said, it's paid, I mean, it's paid off there with a lot of wins over the years. Um, And uh, I, you know, I think Washington state was the same thing with coach Leach that, the offense would have their schedule. The defense would have their schedule. There's not much of that wasted time during the day where you're sitting in the staff room and, and uh, you know, just talking amongst yourselves. you got to be organized with your time. And get in, get your stuff done, and get out. And I would think, you know, I just – I've read every book that a coach has wrote. My wife makes fun of me about that all the time. But, you know, Bob Stoops was that way, um, which is maybe why Coach Leach is that way. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I would think – the more I hear about coaches wanting their, their, their uh, coaches to be around their families, the better I think for our, our profession and the future of it. Um, I would think after this pandemic, people would learn that you, you don't need to be in the office 15, 16 hours a day to get your job done. You can take your iPad home and watch film on your iPad and 
you know, you can call your player on the phone or get on a zoom with him and talk to him face to face if he's having problems. And uh, you know, I, I hope I'm not gonna be in this profession a whole lot longer, you know, 10, 15 years maybe, but I'm hoping if one of my kids ever wants to get in it, it's heading in the right direction where we can, we can have lives and not, not work ourselves to death. Like I've seen over the course of time. Yeah, I hear that, man. I'm a, I'm a supporter there for sure. And I, I think it's very cool because you've seen those experience and you've seen how they've worked out. So that's uh, you know, that's, that's something I think we should all aspire to. I also want to be sure that people know I'm not afraid to work. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to do what I need to do. Right. But, um, and I'll, I'll be there as long as you need me to be there. So. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you for sure. Yeah. We, we hear both sides of it for sure. Um, you talked about FAU and the great experiences you had there, you know, how do you keep your guys focused and locked in when they've gone through that adversity that you talked about? I mean, like you said, you had, you know, you're on your seventh linebacker, middle linebacker, and, you know, you had a 170-pound dime out there. You know, how do you keep your guys motivated and, and, you know, striving to do well, even facing all that adversity, such as injuries? Yeah, well, FAU, it, it wasn't the easiest because there's a lot of distractions there. I mean, there's South Florida nightlife. There's 1.8 miles from the beach, right? I'm sure you've seen that a million times. Um, but it's true. I mean, it if you go and you lose a game on the road and yeah, everyone wants to win and, and they'd be really disappointed about it. But if the next day you could go to the beach and unwind a little bit and do your homework and, and be walking around beautiful Boca Raton, you know, that might, uh, might ease your pain a little, you know what I mean? Um, for the players I'm saying. And, but I, I don't think, you know, when you're going through adversity, I think it comes down to what, what, makes you tick what what is your goals you know our players all had the goal of playing in the NFL being the best player they could you know if, if they didn't work hard in practice or they didn't take their film study seriously they wouldn't put a good product on the film on the film on Saturday and their resume would not be very good um so I think what makes what makes a, a player tick is that what he wants is it is it to play in the NFL is it just to represent the name on the front of the jersey and the back of the jersey really well on game day what what is it that you got to find the button that's going to work with him and and keep him focused on what he wants what what do you want man you you want a degree you want to be a doctor well you better go to class you know you you, you know um uh, you want to play in the nfl but you're skipping reps in the weight room how, how are you going to tell me you want to play in the nfl so it's it's finding that button man, and finding the connection with him being able for him to hold you to your standard am i giving you everything i have as a coach to make you the best you can be and then you hold him to what he really wants in life and trying to help him get there. Sure, sure. And, and part of that process is identifying it right away, finding out what they want, right? Uh, when you meet your guys, say you walk into a new room and you've been in a few new rooms in the last 10 years, how do you introduce yourself? How do you get to know them to where you're no longer a stranger and they feel comfortable about you know conversing with you and, and learning from you and being inspired by you? Right. I'll tell you the face mask, face mask has made that tougher because they can't see facial expressions and know whether you're joking around or not and things of that nature. But um, the first thing I do when I meet with my players is I tell them, okay, my title is coach, but I don't expect you to respect me because I'm called coach. I I'm going to try to earn your respect every day, earn your trust and earn your respect with how I treat you, how I'm there for you when you need me. I will talk to you about everything, football, not football, your family, any problems you're having. Um, how I coach you, how I try to get the most out of you. I'm going to try to earn your trust and your respect every day. And I, I think that's a big thing with kids is that, oh, wow, this guy, 
He's not coming in here being a dictator. He wants, he wants to, me to earn his trust. And, and it's a two-way street, right? I, I start at yes. I don't start at no. I trust them and I try to treat them as a grown man, but you know, they do have to earn my trust as well and my respect. Um, so I think that's part of it. The other thing, and, and Charlie was big on this at FAU was connection. You know, you got to connect with your players somehow, some way. And that doesn't start when they get on campus or when they're a starter for you. It starts when you recruit them. And, uh, you know, a guy like I'm watching him on TV right now. He just had an interception, I believe. Aziz Al-Shair, uh, freshman All-American from Tampa who really grew up without a home. And we had to go to his uh, mentor's um, rec center to meet with him because he was embarrassed to bring us to a hotel room. Um, and, and you build that connection in recruiting and then you get him on campus. And now you have that connection that you always go back to. Whatever it is, how you connect with your player, uh, I think gives you a good base that they can trust that you have their best interests at heart. You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to mislead them. You're not going to use them. And what you're telling them is going to make them better on the field, off the field, whatever it is to try to help them be the best they can be. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Just building that connection, right. And doing whatever you can to connect with them. I see guys really light up, you know, when, when they realize, Oh, he's not here just concerned about football. You know, he's concerned with, what you do this weekend, you know, you need, you need help with anything, you know, is there anything just talking face to face, right. Can break down all those barriers. No doubt about things other than football, you know, well, how's your grandma doing? I know she's sick or, you know, how, how's things at home? How's the, how's the virus? Is it, is it attacking your town? Is your family? Okay. And, you know, just little things like that go a long way. Sure. Sure. hundred percent. Not to mention having them over the house for a nice batch of cookies and the, some spaghetti bake that my wife can make, you know, that, that goes a long way too. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's huge. I'm sure they really gravitate to that spaghetti bake there. Yeah. They, they like whatever she makes. They usually like homemade ice cream. She's good at that. Um, so we try to have them over as much as we can, which it's been tougher as the kids have gotten older and she's running them around from practice to practice and things of that nature. No question. No question. Now, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, and in, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. In the successes that you've had, you've been with some very successful programs, obviously EIU, you guys won all those conference championships, bowl teams and all that. Is there one or two ingredients where you can say, hey, they had this in common and this is why we succeeded? Or is there something that really set those teams apart that they did very well together? Hmm. Wow, that's, that's a great question. Um, if we had the answer to that, we could make millions just bottling up and selling it, right? Some of those teams at Eastern, um, you know, they, they won in spite, in spite of themselves, I guess I'd say, you know, I didn't think it was a very unified team. It was kind of divided, but they, their side of the ball or their position group was really unified and together they were really good. And then there was a 2005 um, was the most unified team I've ever been a part of in my life. Those guys would have killed for each other. They would have stepped in front of a bullet for each other. And then, you know, in 2006, it might not have been that way. In 2009, it was back to what it was in 2005. So I don't know. You know, I think good players, uh, obviously. I think um, a good culture where they kind of help hold each other accountable to themselves. I think that's probably the biggest key. Um, you know, same thing at Villanova. The, the culture there was so strong and the players were so invested in each other. I think, and then in Buffalo, it was the same way. You know, those guys really rallied around each other. And I mean, we had, I could list off about six NFL names right now, that which helps. But those guys in Buffalo, you know, it's such a different different place to live, okay? It's, it's dark, it's cold, and 
And those guys really get close and they played for each other so hard. It helps you win 10 games in a year. I think it's the bond of the players and then holding each other accountable to each other. Yeah. And I like that you said holding each other accountable, you know, because that's sometimes with some teams I see that's uh, a quality that's missing, you know, and that's to succeed. I feel like that is uh, instrumental uh, in finding that success as a team. It's something, you know, I've kind of wondered about, all right, maybe you've, you've been around some great players. Some guys maybe that are great players and they're just happy with where they're at or some guys that are starters and they're just happy where, where they're at or even backups that are, don't really want to strive to get better. Is there a way to reach those guys or how do you motivate them to keep pushing? Is it a competition yeah. that helps them? Yeah, you know, the, the, the backups that are satisfied being backups, they're just happy to be on scholarship, happy to wear the uniform, happy to get the girlfriend. And it's really hard to reach those guys that are satisfied that aren't playing because that, you know, they're just there. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, man. There's been times where we at FAU was one time we had, you know, a great freshman class in 2015 and 2016, there was a couple of them. Couldn't tell them anything. They knew everything. And it was really hard to find those buttons to push, um, but I think at the end of the day, it goes back to what I said earlier. You've got to know what's really driving that kid. Is it to get out of, get his family out of a bad situation, to make the NFL, to get his college degree, whatever it is. Um, I think you need to find those buttons to push and, and really, you know, if, if, if that's, if they're not responding to that, they're not going to respond. It's going to be really tough. And then the other way to get them to respond is competition and replacing them. And then you'll see, see if they'll snap out of it, you know, and, uh, at times I've done a good job of that. At times it's been really tough to get it done. Sure. Sure. But yeah, I'm sure the more you go on and the more you experience those things, this worked in this situation. So I'm sure it'll work here, you know, and learn from those situations. For sure. Absolutely. Something that kind of go, goes along with that too. What is, what's your process of developing your guys? You know, how do you help your guys develop from the start of the season to, you know, mid season to the end of the season, especially this year, it's going to be, a very unique situation, you know, because we're going to have a smushed in eight week season, you know, or six week season, however you guys are doing it. How do you make sure those guys are developing? Yeah. Um, the, this season is going to be, it's going to be interesting to see because if the kid has to miss a few days because of quarantine or whatever, it's going to really set them back a couple of weeks. Right. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but I think um, over the course of time, I think keeping things simple, and not just scheme, but in terms of your technique and your, your terms that you use uh, to get them to, to associate a certain behavior or a certain performance mechanism with, with a word, I think is important, right? Uh, shimmy, run, shimmy your feet, you know, don't break down. We say shimmy, thing, things like that. I think uh, if it starts to click after a while, then they get really good at certain things. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I think Coach Leach, being with him last year, I thought he did a great job of developing players. We played Thursday night football after scout team was over on Thursday. The the guys who weren't traveling and weren't playing, and even some of the guys who played in the games, they played some reps on Thursday night. And we were doing Thursday night football, rain, sun, snow. Uh, we did it on Christmas Day at the bowl game. <laughs> so, um, but we're, we're going to get our 40, 50, 60 plays of Thursday night football in, and those guys were going to develop at point running our plays and our schemes and and that's the only way you're going to get better, you know, and going down and holding up a card is not going to help him all that much. But I thought, I thought he did a tremendous job. And obviously the, the results over his career really speaks for themselves. Sure, man. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Making those guys, 
you know, just play play ball and actually get some you know, live reps there. Are you pulling for? I'm sure you saw that uh, big victory Mississippi State had over LSU. Were you rooting for those guys then? Oh, absolutely. I love those guys, man. Spurrier, Brock, uh, Mealy, awesome and nice tally guy from New Jersey. A lot of those guys, really good friends with them. Darcel and Jeff, you know, still talk to all those guys from time to time. And obviously I want them to do well. I want them to be successful. And, you know, uh, I, I don't harbor any ill will. Of course, I, you know, would have been liked to have been around them because I love being around those guys. You know, they were, we had fun a lot of the, in, in the office. You know, we wish you would have won a couple more of the close games, but yeah, I'm rooting for those guys to be really good this year. Sure. Absolutely. Man, that's really cool that they've, you know, had that success and you guys have had that, those great relationships, which for sure will benefit you down the line too. You know, I want to switch it a little bit to more of the uh, coaching aspect. Um, we talk about, I think from what I've seen, making in-game adjustments is something that great coaches do very well. Is there a way you go about that? You know, do you keep a, a pad and paper on you uh, during a game or how do you make in-game adjustments with your guys yeah that's uh you know as a defensive coordinator up, up in the box we would have a guy have, have one of those pads with the eight formations on it and every time we'd have a a bust whether it was a formation bust you know we didn't adjust to emotion or we misfit a play he'd write the play down and then at halftime we'd show him the plays that we got wrong we would review it in between series but then go through it again at halftime and and point out where we were wrong. But, you know, you know, I used to think this was BS when I was a young coach that, you know, guys wouldn't even have a call sheet and they just call the game. But as I've done this throughout my career, you, you make adjustments in your head, not only series to series, but play to play. Okay, they ran this, they're setting up this. and You just have a voice in the back of your head that tells you what's going on. Special teams-wise, Matt Brock did a phenomenal job of um, on Thursdays, I think it was, or Friday, Friday morning, we'd come in and he'd have a chart uh, for game day eyes. And Justin Lustig did this too, but last year it was fresh in my mind. We, we'd have certain things that we would watch on certain units and you go to him or Shane Gallant at the end of the series, at the end of the play, here's what I saw, here's what they're doing, here's their, how they're attacking us. And, and Matt had a, a, all of the, the returns and everything on the sideline and, and he can adjust that right before they'd go take the field. I thought he did an incredible job of that. So I, you know, that's something I aspire to do this year on the sideline is have have those game day eyes and and uh, be able to make little tweaks and adjustments. Not you, you can't do anything major, right? Differently, but if you can make a little tweak or adjustment that helps you, you'd be crazy not to do it. That's really cool. So he would have like an actual sheet, a drawing of you know what they just ran, and say, all right, here's what we should expect here. Right? Yeah, he he'd have you know maybe. Uh, well, our kickoff scheme for the week, right? And you might make a little tweak to that that you had planned or their returns and maybe have the one that they were majoring in that day and they made this little adjustment to it and, you know, with the markers and show them what to expect. And I, I thought that was fantastic to, to have all that stuff on the sideline. And I hope he doesn't mind me talking about that. I don't think he would, but... <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I've heard... No, yeah. no. No, no, he's a great coach. You know, I, I learned a lot from him last year. Um, you know, I, I thought he did a fantastic job with that. And they, the buy-in from the whole staff, uh, all those guys I just mentioned, to help him on special teams is probably why we're really, really good. I think Matt would be the first to tell you that. Sure, absolutely. You know, I was going to ask you about that too. You know, that's a, a huge – it's a big deal to get your staff to buy into whatever you're doing, especially as an associate head coach, as a defensive coordinator. How do you get guys to believe in the message you're teaching, not just players, but guys on your staff? Is it including them in your, 
your game plans or how do you get your guys bought in on what you're teaching? Yeah, well, fortunately, I've been the places I've been, they've all been bought in. I've had haven't had to try. And I think that comes because of the support of the head coach. You know, you take who you want on these units. If they can't start for you on special teams, how are we putting them out there on offense or defense? You know, that the guys that I've been a special teams coordinator for, that's been their philosophy. So I don't think the staff has really had a choice uh, whether to back him up or not on that. But I think to a man, everyone realizes we've all won or lost the game because of special teams. And I think uh, it's easy for guys to buy in when they know it could affect the outcome of the game. So I, I'm thankful I've been around some really great coaches that have bought in. Hey, preaching in the choir, coach. That's yeah, man. Teams can win or lose a game. It's no doubt. It's important, something we talk about all the time. No doubt. Every play every plays a potential touchdown one way or the other. Scary. Not fun. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's windy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, as a specialist, too, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the wind either. And actually, yeah. talk to me about that, too, because, you know, with Villanova, you were a special teams coordinator. Obviously, you've dealt with specialists there that you had. You maybe, maybe not even a specialist, but uh, in your linebackers, he's having a bad day or he's struggling. Your specialist, he's just hitting horrible balls. How do you get him out of that funk? How do you get his mind focused on the next play and what's that? Yeah. So a specialist, um, similar to my sons in baseball, they go through a slump and they go 0 for 4, 0 for 4, 0 for 4. Keep swinging, man. You know, keep swinging. Eventually that ball's going to find a hole. If I had a basketball player, keep shooting, man. That ball's going to go in the hole, right? Unless you're John Starks in the 1994 finals for my Knicks. Stop shooting, John. <laughs> but um, the uh, I, I think, you know, just get the next one, man. Forget about it. you got to have a short memory. And it's just like being a defensive guy, it's a DB, right? The DBs have to have short memories. The last play's over. Whether we had a pick six or you gave up a bomb, that, that play's over. you got to win the next one. And if we win enough plays in the game, we got a chance to win the game. So flush it, put it behind you. Don't worry about it. You, and you got to go out and play the next play. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Guys can get in their head, right? And then it becomes a lot bigger of a deal because they weren't able to snap out of it, get their mind on the next kick, and stop worrying about the last one. So Right. Yep. Yeah. Got to flush it. Yeah, you got to. You got to. John Starks, you got to flush it. Um, <laughs> your, your situational is here. I think, um, especially with special teams, that's what sets apart guys is, is when they you know, show their team you know, situationals that don't normally happen, but they're ready and they're prepared for that. Where you've been at Washington State or other places, is there any situational stuff that guys have showed their special teams units and that really stood out? I was like, man. I didn't even think about that situation happening in a game. Um, you know, at, at FAU and at uh, Villanova, um, Rob Ash, right, coach has gotten out of coaching. He now runs an analytics company. And um, so with the connection that we've had at the places I've been at, uh, they, they come in and they, they do a presentation. And then if you sign up and you're part of it, they send you these scenarios of time man clock management in games, good and bad, like the Arkansas uh, game from last night was almost a disaster for them, uh, taking a knee before they could run the clock out. You know, th things like that. Uh, you know, Iowa State a few years ago, uh, all they had to do was knee it out, they fumble, and the other, Kansas State got the ball, went down, kicked the field goal. So I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, please. Um, but when those – you asked for examples. Those two places, we, we watched those videos as a staff. And there's special team scenarios on there that, hey, kick, you kicked it out of bounds here and you didn't run any clock off, any time off the clock. They got the ball in the 35, gave them 15 yards of field position. They kicked a field goal with no time left on the clock. 
you lost the game because of your kickoff, not because of some play you gave up on defense. So I think um, you, you can't practice everything. But if you show your kids and your coaches need to know this too, right? So you don't you can try to avoid it. But if the kids can see it too, that here's why we're practicing that situation, you know. And one of them was uh, Belichick, um, and we did this at FAU. It didn't work out, but Belichick was down 11. Gets in the field goal in, in on the 30-yard line, kicks a field goal with a minute and 40 seconds on the clock to go down from down 11 to down eight, or down 10 to down seven, right? And you're like, what is he doing? And uh, well, sure enough, it, his philosophy was if you get the onside kick, now you have a minute and a half to go down and score a touchdown, as opposed to you may not score a touchdown on that previous drive. If you do, you might run another 50 seconds off the clock and have 30 seconds to to score. And you're like, wow, that's brilliant, you know? And to show that film to our kids and our staff, we made the decision at that time with no no emotion on the line, we were going to do that. And we're playing uh, UTSA at their place. And sure enough, we're down by 11 with a minute and 40 seconds. We get to the 20-yard line with Greg Joseph, who kicks in the NFL, go to kick the field goal. He misses. He only missed like three all year. He misses that one. They fry Charlie for the, for the decision. But it, it's the right thing to do because if you get the onside kick, you need that time to go down and score. So, you know, again, just those scenarios, I think, showing your players and your coaches, I think, can help you win games. Oh, 100%. Yeah, those are really interesting situations. Not not a lot of people cover. And I think the big point you made there, too, is showing your players. As you stated earlier, you're only as good as what your players know, right? It doesn't matter how right. much you know, but if your players don't know. So showing them along with the coaches makes a huge difference. Right. Yeah, they have to know. I mean, it's good for us to know. So we, you know, when you're calling a play on offense or defense, you have a, the situation in your head, but the players have to understand why we're going to kick that field goal. And they knew it. And everybody on the sideline knew we were going to do it, you know, and, and that's one example of a million that you can have. Right. Um, so that they, they understand that there's a thought process process behind everything. hundred percent, hundred percent. So now I want to take you through a, a scenario, a situational, right. And this was almost you or it was you, you know, you're the head coach. Okay. What is your philosophy? What is your culture that you're going to build here? Is there, you know, a keyword or two you want to build it upon? Is there a message that you stress to your players every day? What do you build your program around? Yeah, there's a, there's a few of them. Um, You know, be where your feet, I'm a Dr. Kevin Elko fan. I I follow everything he does, you know, be where your feet are, I think is a huge one. Um, Being at Villanova, you know, tap the rock was the theme of the program there. And, not kind of adapted that to just keep tapping the rock, uh, stealing it from them, I guess. And then, you know, one I think is win now, right now, this second, right now. And then we start our, my meetings off. Uh, every meeting I have, whatever position or special teams or whatever, you know, I say ready, they say ready. That means we're ready to start the meeting. I say win and they say now because we're winning right now, right this second, this moment. Be locked in. Let's win this meeting. When this meeting's over, let's go out to the field, win practice, win that play in practice, win the next play, win the next play. I think if you win, you know, enough moments throughout a day, you can have a great day. If you win enough days, you can have a great month, a great year, a great career, a great life. And it all starts with now. And in my life, especially at the two years apart from my family, when I'd start thinking big picture or, man, what am I, the next time I'm not going to see them for another, you know, six weeks, uh, that's when I would get myself in trouble. And my brain would start locking up and doing crazy things and snap out of it right now what do I got to do right now I need to get ready for this position meeting I need to go uh, I need to go find dinner (laughs) Uh, whatever it is I think win now that's a big one for me is win this moment right now sure 
win now. I like that. Cause yeah, I've been in the same spot too, especially with COVID, right? I mean, we could, we could sit here and play the hypotheticals all day, even about having a season, completing a season. There's still a lot, even for us, there's a lot of hurdles we have to get over to play the next game and play the game after that. So let's just win right now. Let's win the day right now. Let's win the next minute right now. No doubt. Yep. I think it goes a long way. It's a, could be a, a hashtag or a catchy saying, but I think if you live your life that way, you got a shot. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that's, it's been awesome, Coach. Uh, just sitting here and chatting with you. We're, we're about winding down, but uh, I still have a few questions. Me being a young coach, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. How do you make your family and, your, you know, your kids and your wife feel like they're a part of the team? Or how do you set time away? Because I'm sure there's been some times in your life where you're working all the time. You know, you're working it's in season seven days a week. You're grinding there. How do you make them feel valued, make your wife feel valued? Oh, well, you know, I think uh, it starts with your wife. Um, you know, she has to love this lifestyle. We look at it as a, as a calling, not a, not a job. You know, this is uh, about helping people be the best they can be and, and helping them see some things in life that they wouldn't have seen. So she sees it, you know, it means as much to her as it does to me. So without her, you can't, ha you can't have a relationship. You know, you can't, it's not going to work. Um, and that if she's, if she's on board, then the kids will be on board because she'll get them on board. And I think, I think back to our time at Eastern Illinois, when we started having our kids, you're in a smaller town, you know, a town of 20,000 people. And, you know, it's one double A football and your kids could come on the field after practice. There's no fences, no security, no cameras. And I could pitch them, uh, baseballs on the field and they're around the players. The players are picking them up. Tony Romo's carrying my son Gino around in a clothes basket because he'd come over the house we'd play golf in the summer because he had nobody else to play with. And he'd come over and carry Gino around the house and my wife would cook him dinner. And so, you know, they've grown up around the game. And so it's just, it's, Hey, that's dad's job. We'll be, we'll be at Disney world when we live in Florida and um, walking around Disney. Hey, I got to go take this call. You guys go on um, uh, a space mountain or whatever. I'll see you when you're done. And they know I have to talk to this recruit and, they have to be on board with everything, you know, or, or it's going to be rough if it's going to start pulling apart. And, uh, you know, so them being involved has been, been huge because they've been there since day one, right. Since they've been born. Yeah. And they've had some fantastic experiences too, hanging out with Tony Romo and going to uh, space mountain or yeah. Got experiences. Yeah. The, uh, he, my, uh, 18 year old went to Hawaii when he was six months old to watch a football. He, he didn't watch the game, but he was there, you know, and, my one of my twins their baseball coach was asking if they took any cool vacations you know and they're like well we either go play baseball we go to football bowl games we or we go visit our family those those are the only vacations we've ever taken so they don't know any different <laughs> maybe that's a good thing <laughs> that is a good thing yeah well then definitely unique experiences for sure uh you know you've been around the game and i'm not trying to date you or anything but you've been <laughs> around the game for a while is there something that you've seen with players or with just football in general that's really changed in the last maybe 20 maybe 10 maybe five years oh wow yeah you know um i think some things have really changed for the better i think our game is safer than it's ever been and will only continue to get safer with the uh not only the rules but the the common sense of, you know, not having three practices in a day, like when I played for two straight weeks. And if you gave them a, a half an afternoon off, you were soft. It just, I think our game is, is safer now. I think I love the aspect that players feel like they can voice their concerns more now, because if someone's treating you wrong, someone, someone needs to know about it. I would just hope that the chain of command would 
be appropriate. So they'd go to the person they have the problem with first. And then if that doesn't work, work your way up the chain of command instead of, you know, taking the alternative of throwing it out there when it could be just a miscommunication. Right. But I love the fact that they, that they feel like they can uh, uh, go and voice their concerns. Now. I think that's, that's been for the better for the worse. I think our game has changed a little for the worse. And the fact that there's uh, when I was young and why I was a GA for five years was there's only one GA on each side of the ball. Right. And now there's, two, maybe a special teams GA. There's 8,000 analysts or QCs. Um, I think the, the population of coaches is really thick. The competition is really thick to get those jobs. And I think people are in it for the money. Um, not that I don't like money, right? But um, I think the chase of the money is more than the development of the kid. And I think that's for the worse for our game. I think there's a lot of uh, all show and no dough you know, guys that are big Twitter uh, and dancing and, you know, TikTok and all this other stuff and not about the relationship with the kid and making the kid better. Um, so there's been a lot of good and there's, there's been some bad. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to be that grumpy old man. I'm not that. I like social media too, right? But I think those are things that we need to keep an eye on as a profession. Sure. And actually be about the players, right? And actually be committed to the game and not for the attention or for the popularity of it. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's not. It shouldn't. You know, the money is nice. You know, it took me uh, twenty years to not live. I mean, twenty three years to not live paycheck to paycheck. Um, you know, and the money is nice, but it's not about the money. It's about making people reach their goals and making their their lives better and helping them become the best version of themselves. And it took me, uh, you know, five seven years to figure that out. And um, I want to change a thing about the way I was brought up in the profession. That's awesome. Yeah, and there's nothing more fulfilling than, you know, being someone and seeing their eyes light up, you know, when you can do something for them where they make that change, they understand a new concept, right, and they get excited. You know, there's no better feeling than having that. That's that's what gets you out of bed every day. really does. That's what drives me. Sure, sure. That's really cool, Coach. I, I really appreciate that. All right, we're going to go speed round real quick, and you can kind of uh -oh. fire off different experiences that you've had. All right. Uh, biggest win of your career, go. Into the bowl game last year, beating Oregon State after come, overcoming eight turnovers and winning the game at the end of the game with two seconds left. That's awesome. That's really cool. All right, most crushing loss or most heartbreaking loss? The Illinois State in the playoffs in 2006, we were up with about 237 left in the game. We turned the ball over late, and they went down and scored and advanced in the playoffs. That was the second time we lost to them that year, and that's, that was our rival. Dang, Redbirds. Huh? Yeah. Don't like those Redbirds at all. <laughs> What was your best uh, coaching experience? There, there's been something positive at every place I've been. Um, I really loved my time at FAU. I really did. I, I, the guys I worked with were brothers. The players were awesome. Did everything we ever asked of them. They just didn't do it fast enough. That was my favorite job. And last year at Washington State was, it was an awesome job as well. Yeah. And you got to spend time with Chris Hurd there, another friend of yeah. the – friend of the podcast there like like my brother man we i had nine brothers on that staff that's really cool that that part of it makes it great too uh biggest difference from coaching at a small school to a larger school big bigger school who um just the amount of help that you have and for guys that coach at the lower level sometimes it's hard to hard to juggle all that help and make sure that you're not still trying to do it all yourself sure Sure. What is uh, one of the biggest mistakes that coaches make, either you've made or you've seen someone make when they come into a new program? 
Oh yeah. Uh, square peg round hole. You know, I'm going to run this system. This is my system. This is what I do instead of, uh, and, and being hard line with that and trying to, it's great. You can recruit people to that system, but if they, if the guys you have right now can't do that system, you won't make it to that time to be able to run what you want to run. You have to be able to tweak things. And, and, uh, I think we learn that the hard way sometimes. Sure. Sure. Square peg round hole. You said it right with that. Um, Okay, I know you're a huge Yankee fan, okay? And they got a big playoff game coming up. I actually do support Aaron Judge, played at uh, Fresno State, so he's repping Fresno, California there. Um, you know, what is the score going to be of their game against the Rays, and who's going to stand out? Is there going to be a player that, you know, really takes the stage there? Uh, when the season started, I thought the Rays were the best team in the American League, so uh, you might not – I don't want, I don't feel great about it, man. But <laughs> for, for – uh, Here's a stat. I don't have the exact stat, but Giancarlo Stanton over the years has dominated Petco Park. Won the uh, the uh, home run derby there. He hit eight games in nineteen or eight home runs in nineteen games in his career there. So for us to win, he's got to dominate that park again. Sure, sure. I like that. Giancarlo Stanton, player to watch <laughs> from Coach Rock. Well, Coach, man, it's it's been an awesome time, man. And and the reason I do this too is I get to you know hang out and chat with phenomenal coaches in our field and you're one of them so I appreciate it man I don't I don't know about that but I really appreciate being on here it was fun and you know I really hope some somebody learns something from this you know they can get something out of it that'll make them and, and our profession at the end of the day better I'm sure they will I'm 100% sure they will uh is there anything you want to plug you know anything else you got going on uh places that people can reach you if they have any questions about coaching at twitter email yeah, my t Twitter would probably be the best, uh, at Coach Rock, R-O-C. That would probably be the easiest way to do it. Uh, my email would take me about five minutes to, to spell out my name. Um, that would be great. And if anybody has anything I can help them with, don't hesitate to reach out. As long as I see it, I'll respond. Um, you know, it's sometimes you don't see everything, and I don't want people to get offended if I don't respond, but I'll try my best to do it. 100%. I know, just like me, you get a ton of messages a day, you know, so you just, I appreciate you responding to me. And, uh, you know, oh, man, I'm really glad I did. This was great. This is, this was an awesome time, man. I really appreciate you having me. Sure, sure. Well, hey, it's been a fantastic time, Coach. And you have been on the cold seat. That's Coach Rock Bell and Tony. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions you'd like asked or select guests coming up, follow and send us a message on Twitter and Instagram to Iceman underscore kicking or icemankicking at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us and turn notifications on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Iceman Kicking Podcast and rate and review us on Apple Music. This will be important as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure. Have a great week.